I'm going to go with a stool tonight. Is that okay? It's kind of a quiet feeling night. Little, I need a fire behind me or something, though. Um, my name is Scott. I didn't introduce myself before. Uh, if you haven't met me, um, I'd love to say hi to you afterward. I, I don't do necessarily the best job of going and seeking out people and getting to know them, but I do want to know who you are. If it's, if it's your first time here or your 20th time and we've never talked, just um, let's, let's talk sometime soon because uh, that would be good. I'd like to know the folks who are here at Artisan. I want to start out tonight with a story, and it is, um, it's sort of a Christmas story, but it's not a particularly happy one, and so I apologize in advance. Uh, if this is a bit of a downer. Not, not too long ago, there was a young couple that I knew of, at, uh, and they were attending a conservative Christian college, a college not unlike the two conservative Christian colleges that we have uh, within shouting distance of the city of Rochester. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? I went to one of them. Um, this young couple, Emily and Will, had started dating during their sophomore year of college. And over the summer, before their senior year, Will proposed to Emily. And uh, she said yes. And so they, they quickly set about the business of planning a wedding, which if you've ever done that or known anybody who's done that, is quite a task. Um, but they were in love and, and happy to be doing that together. They're happy to be getting ready to be married. They were very much in love and, and passionately so, but uh, they actually, Emily and Will, had not been sexually active with each other. Um, they believed that sex was something that God was intended, uh, God intended for them to experience after they were married, so they... Uh, they were doing their best to, to save sex for, for their wedding night, and uh, that's not an easy thing to do, uh, but, but so far they had done a great job with it, um, which was why uh, Will was completely taken aback when one Saturday night, uh, just before Christmas break, Emily sat him down and said, we need to talk, and she told him that she was pregnant. Will was obviously heartbroken. Uh, he felt betrayed and hurt. Um, what's more, he, he really had no idea what he was supposed to do next. Everything he'd been planning almost every day of the previous six months, he had spent doing something for the wedding, and that had just kind of blown up in his face just before the holidays. And as is only natural, he began also to worry about what other people would think when they heard the news. If you've ever been on the campus of a small conservative Christian college, you know that news, especially juicy news like this, travels fast. And he had to go home to his family, both he and Emily came from long-time, devoutly Christian families. And the story of how his fiancée was pregnant 
was not going to be fun conversation to have around the Christmas tree. He was always also worried about um, how things would look at school. He was actually the student body president. Uh, he was very well known on campus. He was studying to become a pastor, had already spoken twice at the chapel services on campus that semester. So in addition to having to deal with this incredible personal pain, Will was really worried that his reputation might start to suffer. Because everybody was going to assume when they saw that Emily was pregnant that, that this was his baby. And they would assume things about his, his moral code that, that he didn't want them to assume. So he began to contemplate what life might be like if he broke off the engagement and went his separate ways. What would you do in that situation if you were Will? I want you to think about that. And as you're thinking about that, I'm going to step away from the story for a minute and, and try to orient us to where we are in our series. As a church, we've been going through Advent for, uh, this is the fifth week now. And Advent, as you know, is a season of the church year where we anticipate the arrival of Jesus. We anticipate Christmas. And we've been going through this series... Uh, week by week. And the first week we, we titled the, the service Darkest Before the Dawn. Do you remember that? Were you here for that? And we talked about how Advent is actually kind of a time that's pretty dark. We are anticipating light, but we're not yet there. So the first week was Darkest Before the Dawn. The second week was Get Up and Travel Light. The idea that morning has broken, we've got glimmers of light, and it's time to get up and start this journey. And so every week since then, we've been working with the metaphor of being on a journey through this darkness, through Advent, toward the light, toward Jesus. And the third week was titled, Wonder Where We're Going. And, and if you were here that week, you remember uh, there was a lot of uh, allegorical kind of end times imagery because during Advent, we, also, we not only anticipate Christmas, but we anticipate the second coming of Jesus as well. And then last week, Pastor Brian gave a sermon titled, The Wild Road We Travel. And you may recall he gave lots of examples of heroes of the faith and the, and the wild things that they'd experienced and challenged you that, to think that maybe you need to travel that road and be a, have those wild experiences yourself. So we've been on this journey through darkness, and tonight is the last Sunday where we're going to be in Advent, because tomorrow is Christmas Eve, service at 5 p.m. right here, by the way. And we will have arrived. Jesus will have arrived. So tonight, in our last message during Advent, we're titling it, Signs of Arrival. Signs both of Jesus' arrival and our arrival in faith. 
And the main text this week comes from the Gospel of Matthew, which has a story of the birth of Jesus that's a little bit different from the, the very famous one, which comes from the book of Luke, right. Luke chapter 2 is the uh, Linus with the blanket, lights go down. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. Uh, but tonight, I want to look at the Matthew account, which is a little bit different. Um, and it tends to focus on the person of Joseph, which I think is kind of interesting. So uh, there are Bibles on the chairs next to you. Uh, the text will also be on the screen. But if you like the feeling of a, of a good old-fashioned book, you can go about that far into it. <laughs> On your red Bibles, it's page 783. This is from Matthew chapter 1, and the verses are 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph... Being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And here Matthew quotes the book of Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. I would submit that Joseph has a situation that's not at all unlike the situation from Will, in the story I told you a few minutes ago. His fiancée turned up pregnant with a child that was not his. Now, around Christmas time, we often ponder what that must have been like for Mary. And rightfully so, because Mary had a significant burden to bear. But as I was reading this passage this week, I began to wonder, what must this have been like for Joseph? If you don't know, Joseph's legal right under the Levitical law was to have Mary put to death. Leviticus 20.10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress, adulteress shall be put to death. So if he wanted to press charges, so to speak... He could have made that happen. 
But the Bible says that he was a righteous man and didn't want to go that route and decided to dismiss her quietly, which I think is kind of an interesting turn of phrase. That may have been because he was righteous. It may also have been a fairly easy way to clear his own name. If he sends Mary away, everybody knows that he has not defiled her, which is how it would have been viewed at that time. This baby's not his. Suddenly they're not together anymore and she's pregnant and everyone knows why. Right? And so he resolves to do that. But as is so often the case, just when he makes the decision about what to do, God intervenes and says, no, I have a different plan. And God sends a messenger to him. Which, interestingly enough, if you don't know this, the, the word angel is translated from a Greek word that means messenger. It's the same word that gives the root that we translate to gospel. Message. The gospel is the message. A messenger is also an angel. And that's how we how we translate that New Testament word. So this messenger comes to Joseph in a dream and tells Joseph what God wants him to do. And how does Joseph respond? Well, I suggest that his response has... I want to look at three different um, shapes of response, for lack of a better term. The first one is that he responds in faith. Okay? Joseph quite simply, believes what the messenger tells him. Which is no small thing. After all, the messenger has told him to do something that pretty much contradicts the Jewish law. Not to mention everything Joseph knows about human biology. Right? Not only is Mary still a virgin, although she's pregnant, but I don't want you to condemn her I don't even want you to dismiss her. I want you to take her as your wife, just as you've planned. So that must have been a leap of faith for Joseph to come to that point where he said, yes, that dream I had last night, that angel, that was God. That was not the spicy capicola sandwich I had before bed. Is capicola kosher? No, no. <laughs> Joseph probably wouldn't have eaten capicola. Maybe uh, a buffalo chicken finger sub is what he had before bed. <laughs> but at any rate, he had to decide. This was not a bad dream. This was not the devil telling me something. This was actually of God. And that's a leap of faith. So his first response was one of faith. And the second response, I think, must have been one of forgiveness. He decided to treat Mary as if she had done nothing wrong which of course she hadn't. But he had to come to terms with that. And the anger and emotional distress and betrayal he must have felt when she turned up pregnant, he had to let go of that. And that's a bit of an act of forgiveness. He had to decide, in spite of the fact that undoubtedly he heard the people whispering, Everywhere he went with Mary, into the marketplace, into the synagogue, 
into Bethlehem to be taxed, he heard the whispers. Just as Emily and Will would have heard some whispers at their conservative Christian college. And he had to say, you know what? I don't care what they think. I believe what God has told me, and that's all I care about. So in addition to his leap of faith, he must have had a moment of forgiveness in his heart, maybe several moments. And finally, very simply, he must have had a response of obedience. Having heard the message, believed it, and forgiven Mary, he had to then step out in obedience and do as the angel told him. Not only did he not dismiss Mary and keep her and take her as his wife, but he continued to follow the laws that he understood and didn't have any marital relations with her until after the baby was born. So it was a continual act of obedience. The immediate one that came right after the dream and the continual act that came until Jesus was born. So you might come up with some other ones, but, but those are the three ways I anticipate, I, I want to suggest that Joseph responded in faith, in forgiveness, and in obedience. And I think that Joseph's story contains some very clear signs of arrival for us. Signs of our arrival at Christmas. Signs of Jesus' arrival on earth and in our lives. Signs of the end of our journey through darkness and our arrival at light. And of course, as this journey ends, we have a decision to make whether we want to take up the next journey, which is to walk with Jesus. But for now, I think Joseph's story has signs of arrival based on those three responses he had. When we think that we're righteous and what we're doing in our life is good and fine, and then God intervenes and says, no, I have a different plan, how shall we respond? Well, first, in faith. Just like Joseph believed the message that he received, even though it was actually kind of incredible, we also are asked to believe the message that, that we've heard, which is no more incredible, if you think about it. Incredible in the literal sense of the word, as in incredible. This is unbelievable that... A tiny baby born 2,000 years ago would be the savior of humankind and allow you to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And it's very radical in the sense that if we're going to follow that little baby and his later adult teachings, we're supposed to love our enemies, pray for the people who persecute us, not strike back when we're hit, and in fact, turn the other side of our face. That's a pretty incredible and radical thing 
to step out in faith and believe. I mean, don't dismiss that. But if you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you with this message from God, you may find yourself coming to faith and believing something in your heart before you even fully grasp it in your head. The second sign of arrival is that forgiveness. And of course, if you know anything about Christian teaching, you know that we believe that Jesus grew up to be a man, both fully God and fully human, lived a sinless life, was crucified, and that his death on our behalf covers our wrongdoing and sin and allows us to connect with a God who otherwise we would be separate from. and to be forgiven of our sins. And yes, that is the Christian message. But there's another part of the Christian message that I think Joseph's sign points even more directly at, and that is this. Jesus' words again. Just as you've been forgiven, you also must forgive. Or put another way in, in, in the Luke version, forgive and you will be forgiven. It's interesting that it's put in that order. So it's not just about being forgiven of your own sins. It's about forgiving other people when they've sinned against you. And Joseph's third sign of arrival, obedience. Because he believed the message and had faith, he had no choice but to act. He had to respond with action. And responding with action when God tells us to do something is called obedience. Very simple. And if the message of Christmas is to take root in our lives, we also must step out and act in obedience. Now for some of us, that might mean a pretty significant lifestyle change. If God is calling you to obedience in your life, you may have to get rid of some stuff in your life. You may have to add some other stuff back in to replace it. The Bible talks about being, removing the old clothes and, and being clothed with something new. That's a, a metaphor that Paul uses in Colossians, I think. And so you've got to get, get rid of some of that junk. And I'm not talking about taking it to goodwill, passing it on to somebody else. But here's the thing. If that faith is starting to spark in your heart and you're going to follow Jesus, you have to act in obedience. There is no other alternative. And I don't want you to be confused because I think we get hung up on this in a theological debate mindset a lot. Well, no, your works don't save you. It's your faith that saves you. And yes, I believe that. There's nothing that we can do to save us from our own sins. That is the work of Jesus. And our faith in that work that he does is what saves us. But that's not the end of the story. Unless you're lucky enough to get hit by a beer truck after you stand up from praying that prayer. 
Because from that moment on, it's time for a life of, of obedience. That doesn't mean it's going to be a boring and, and horrible life necessarily. But it's not a passive life, that's for sure. And it makes this kind of circle, at least as I see it. We receive a message and believe it, and we have faith, and the circle starts. And we find that we have to forgive other people. That sort of softens our heart a little bit. And we realize we have to obey God's commands. And we obey, and that softens our heart a little bit more. And our faith then becomes deeper, and we're back at the top ready for another spin around. If you live a life of faith, you're going you're gonna to be doing that your whole life. It's not like spinning in circles, getting nowhere. Think of it more like a, hyd a hydroelectric thing where the source keeps pouring down and faith, forgiveness, obedience. Faith, forgiveness, obedience. And it, it powers you in your life of faith. In a minute, I'm going to invite you to take communion with us, which is, which is our response to hearing the word proclaimed every week here at Artisan. An act of remembrance of Christ's broken body and his shed blood, but also an act that's holy and sacramental, whereby we receive more grace from God. And as you come to the table, I want you to think about one of those three responses, faith, forgiveness, and obedience, and think of the one that is the most challenging for you right now? Is faith itself the challenge for you? Have you never believed in Jesus? Did you confess faith 20 years ago and you're still not sure today whether you believe all the stuff that you've been told? You know, that's kind of where I'm at right now, to be perfectly honest with you. I became a Christian when I was six or seven years old, I think. And I just turned 30 this year. And lately, I'm just not sure I believe all of the things that I've been taught. So if that's you, it's okay. It's okay to go through those times. It better be, <laughs> or I'm in some trouble. So maybe it's faith for you. Maybe it's forgiveness. There might be something that somebody did to you yesterday or 25 years ago you cannot get over and you cannot forgive. Maybe it's obedience. You have a, a lifestyle issue or you've been called to do something and, and haven't gotten around to doing it. You've sensed God telling you to stop doing something and you haven't gotten around to that yet. Whatever it is, a struggle of faith, 
a struggle of forgiveness or a struggle of obedience. I'd ask you to sit and meditate for just a moment on that and open your spiritual ears. Listen to what God might be saying to you. Is there some action He's calling you to? Is there some reconciliation that He has asked you to make? Maybe He just needs you to sit and be quiet for a minute in His love. Just a moment of silent prayer and meditation and then I'll, I'll pray to invite you to the table. God, we are thankful for this story of Joseph and for the signs we see in it, signposts pointing to our arrival at Christmas, signs that announce the coming of Jesus into the world, signs that announce the coming of Jesus into our hearts and lives, signs that point us to the journey that's ahead. For some of us, it may be a sign that points us back to the road that we staggered off of drunkenly. For some, it may be the first sign pointing to that road. And I pray for each person in this room, each person hearing this message, that Jesus would be real to them. And if they're struggling with faith, the Spirit of Christ would spark in their hearts for the first time or the 50th time. For those who are struggling with damaged relationships, I pray that the peace of Christmas would be made real to them that they would extend the forgiveness that they've been given. And for those who've been called to a deeper level of obedience, God, I pray for your strength and guidance as they make what might be difficult decisions that would affect their relationships, affect their families, affect their jobs. Give them the courage to respond in obedience to what you've asked them to do. And as we all crowd around your table to receive again the message of Jesus' sacrifice for us, would you give us your grace would you bind us together and make us one body with many parts, communing with you in the knowledge and love of Jesus
with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit as we struggle to serve you, our God and Father. Amen.